Pastor Pablo. I'm the youth and family pastor here at Grace Assembly. Um, so, so that you could get to know me a little bit, uh, I am married. This is my wife, Rachel, up in the front. Uh, we have been married for about four and a half years. We have an adorable little 18-month-old boy who just got his first haircut yesterday. Uh, his name is Judah, and uh, he is just a handful. And so <clears throat> we, were, we were very hesitant to give him his first haircut because he kind of lost, like, his baby face a little bit uh, recently. And so the haircut just kind of solidified it that we officially have a toddler. And his attitude, by the way, certainly tells us that we have a toddler in the house as he learns to say no and repeatedly say no and wave his finger at things that, you know, we say no to. And so yeah, we have a toddler, but he's a lot of fun. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to just jump right in because last service, I, I, when I looked at the clock, I had like 25 minutes to preach. And then I looked again and I had like four minutes. And I was like, what in the world happened to the time? So we're just going to get started. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about seizing the moment and, and seizing divine opportunities that we have available to us on a daily basis. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you have ever dwelled on a missed opportunity before? You missed out on an opportunity and you think about it like every now and then. It, it, and it's not like even today you'll think about it and it's not even that uh, you want to think about it, but just randomly if you're just relaxing or you know, you're going about your day, something just pops up in your mind and all of a sudden you find yourself dwelling on something that you missed out on, maybe that you should have done this a little differently and, or how different your life would be if you had maybe taken advantage of this opportunity and maybe bettered yourself in uh, certain areas. Uh, I think about things like this all the time. And so I'm going to give uh, a couple of natural opportunities that a lot of people missed out on that I'm sure a lot of people are regretting. How many people in this room have an iPhone? Raise your hand. I have an iPhone. <coughs> I got my first iPhone when I was in college. I was super excited when I got it. Uh, it was an iPhone 5, I believe, which if I had an iPhone 5 still today, I would not be a happy camper because they, the phone just pretty much doesn't work today. Um, but when Apple launched its initial public offerings to have a share into the company, to be able to kind of buy into the company in 1980, one share was val valued at just $22. In today's day and age, and in the market today, one share in Apple is valued at $263.35. Now imagine if back in the 80s you invested $263 in shares in Apple, how much that would be worth today. I didn't take the time to do the math, but you can go ahead and do it yourself. Uh, but back in 1980, just $22. I, I I think of things like this, and I look at my parents, and I'm like, man, you guys missed out. I wasn't alive in the 80s. I was born in 1993, and so I'm a, I'm a youngin' uh, up here. But, uh, yeah, I, I look at my parents, and I, I tell them all the time, I'm like, man, you guys really missed $22. I was like, today, people have more than that in their wallet. You, you know, you could have bought a share in Apple. But here's a crazier one. How many of you use Google on a daily basis? I am unashamed at how much, if I don't know how to spell something, I go to Google and I'll just use talk to text or, you know, something like that. And sure enough, I will find out how to spell a word. A word that I always struggle with is definitely because I always type defiantly, which mean totally different things uh, in a sentence. And so it can get you in trouble. But when Google made their public offerings to buy into the company in 2004, this is 2004. I was a, I was a kid. I was 11 years old. Uh, one share was worth $85. That's significantly more uh, than what Apple was worth in the 80s. However, today, 
One share in Google in the market today is worth $1,308.37. Isn't that crazy? I, I look at my parents and I'm like, guys, listen, first off, I wasn't alive when Apple, you know, became public to the, you know, had their public offerings. And I was like, I was 11 when Google did it. When I was 11, my priorities were, who am I hanging out with after school? What, what am I going to do today? And, and am I going to shoot something with a paintball gun or an airsoft gun? That was what I was thinking about when I was 11 years old. But talk about missed opportunities. However, those are natural opportunities. And so now I want to kind of flip this question to a spiritual context. How many divine opportunities do we miss and maybe we reflect on? I reflect over my life, and I know it hasn't been that long, only 26 years old, and out of the 26, you know, what, what did I take seriously and all that stuff, and when can I start remembering? And so it hasn't been very long. But when I reflect over my life, I sometimes will dwell on opportunities that God brought clearly before me, but I missed out on an opportunity because I either was distracted or I didn't take him seriously. Um, I didn't get serious with my relationship with God until... Um, I was about a junior transferring to a senior in uh, high school. And uh, there's, there's a, a long story that comes with that, but I, I and I'll make it brief in just a second. But uh, I, I think about the impact that I could have had in my high school if I had just taken God seriously from the moment I entered high school. Uh, I began going to church when uh, I was in eighth grade, about to be in high school, uh, my dad was the first to get saved in my family, and uh, my dad wanted to bring my sisters and I to youth group, and so that's what he did. I thought my youth pastor was weird, uh, and so I, I didn't go back for like a couple months, and then I, eventually I was like, all right, I want to go back, and then I just started loving hanging out with people and uh, so on and so forth. I'm the weird youth pastor today, by the way. That's awesome how that works. God has a great sense of humor, uh, but... Uh, eventually I, I got saved. However, I gave my life to Jesus, but at that moment I didn't totally surrender everything to Jesus. And so I didn't get serious uh, with my relationship with God until I was about a junior, transferring again into a senior in high school, and it was one moment in my life that changed me forever. Uh, you see, I had already felt like I had been called to ministry when I was 15 years old. I had an opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic on a missions trip, and uh, I felt God kind of tugging at my heart. You know, he began to do a work in my heart, and when I was 16, I went back the following year, I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life was serve God. However, again, I got distracted. Uh, I, hadn't, I didn't have my priorities set, and I just wasn't focused on following after God. And going into my senior year, uh, I had a, a buddy of mine, his name was Larson. Um, we, we had known each other from middle school, and, you know, we, we kind of uh, drifted a little bit uh, in high school, uh, because he went to a private school in our town, I went to the public school. However, we reconnected uh, a couple of years, I think it was in our sophomore year of high school, because he began going to the church that I uh, attended, and it was just awesome to see him there and connect with him again. And um, going uh, into our senior year, uh, something happened in that summer, and Larson passed away. Um, now, the thing that encouraged me about Larson was I knew who he was. He was a man of God. He loved his family, he loved the Lord, and you could tell that he loved the Lord by how he interacted with his family, by how he interacted with his friends, and by how intentional he was on uh, being a witness and, and just the image that he portrayed of himself, just letting, you know, letting the light of God shine through him over anything else. And so 
it was very hard. You know, we were going into our senior year. We went to rival schools, you know, one town, two schools, rivals. Uh, we both played football, and uh, the positions that we played met each other often on the football field. And so we would, you know, have friendly banner back and forth. I would t- uh, talk some junk to him. He, t- he would talk trash to me. He was shorter than me. However, he was a stocky dude. And so, you know, when we went on the football field, if he got low and he picked me up, he had me, and he put me on my back a couple times. But um, there, something happened where uh, one, one summer, go, well, that summer going into our senior year, he went out to the beach with a couple of friends, and for some reason while he was swimming, his body just shut down, and he drowned. And it was, it was so surreal to me just because we had just seen each other on Sunday, and uh, it, it was... It was the first time that I had lost a friend where I was old enough to be able to know that I had to process this healthily myself. I I was able to realize that I needed to process this in a healthy way. And so what I turned to obviously was friends, was family, was his family, but then also the word of God and knowing how uh, we have a hope beyond beyond this life that when we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us a hope that after this life on this earth, we can be with him in paradise for eternity. And so that was the thing that brought me comfort uh, and, and was helping me kind of process things in a healthy kind of way. And about a month into my senior, uh, senior year of high school, I lost another friend of mine. And he, he lost his life. He drove a motorcycle. And so he was on his motorcycle uh, on his way to school in the morning, and he didn't make it to school. Um, a car backed up into him and just sent him flying. And uh, that one was tougher on me, and it was tougher on me because he didn't know Jesus. And it's the same story where we were friends from middle school into high school, and I instantly thought of all the opportunities that I had to share Jesus with him. I instantly thought of all the missed opportunities that I had to be able to shine some light in him and, and, and let him know that there's a God out there who loves him. But because I didn't take God seriously and because I was distracted, I didn't. And it was, as, it was as if the Holy Spirit in that moment began ministering to my heart. He began ministering to my heart and began uh, speaking into me saying that life was, what life was too short, life is too short to not take God seriously. That the cost of living a life without Jesus is too high to not share the good news with those around me, especially those that I care about and have a relationship with. And it was from that moment on that I just told God, God, I'm sold out. God, I'm all in. Whatever it is that you have for me, whatever it is that you want me to do, every opportunity that you give me, uh, open my eyes to it and give me the boldness to be able to speak out and be obedient as you lead. And there are so many opportunities that God gives us uh, on, an, uh, on a daily basis that go missed for many reasons. You know, we're distracted. I'll be the first to say that I am so easily distracted. Uh, I'll be uh, watching a movie that I want to watch, and then I get a text message, and then I have to read all my text messages, and then I have to read all my notifications on my phone, and then I have to rewind the movie because 20 minutes went by, and I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Um, I, I get easily distracted, and uh, sometimes we miss out on divine opportunities because we want to wait for confirmation from God before moving forward instead of taking a step of faith and allowing the Spirit to give us confirmation as we walk in faith. Now, waiting for God to give you confirmation is not a bad thing. I have done that so many times in my life. However, 
Sometimes I believe that God in certain situations that we've just been praying about for years and we've been believing that God is going to give us the word and God is going to direct us, I believe that God is waiting for us to take that first step of faith before he directs the next step. And the idea of uh, confirmation as we walk and not while we wait around is what we're going to call today the Jonathan factor, as you can see up on the screen. And so today we're going to be talking about seizing the moment the Jonathan factor. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. And beginning in verse 6, it says, Jonathan, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines' outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so let's understand Jonathan for a little bit here. Uh, I truly believe that many of us have Jonathans in our lives and I have a couple of Jonathans in my life. Jonathan had a a zealous motivation to serve the Lord and saw an opportunity before him to do just that. And as Pastor Doug said last week, uh, in the mind of anyone who thinks tactically, putting yourself out in the open before your enemy and letting them know, hey, I'm here, is not the best strategy from a military standpoint. Naturally, you would want to place yourself in a a spot where you can kind of sneak around them and have the element of surprise on your hands so that you can overwhelm them, but... Jonathan was like, no, we're going to reveal ourselves to them, and we're going to do it this way. (coughs) Now, Jonathan is at this place where this army sees him, and there's really no going back. They see him. And there's something that we need to understand about the Philistines. Uh, The Philistines are Goliath's descendants, meaning uh, Goliath is way off. You know, the, the story of David and Goliath has not happened yet, that encounter on the battlefield where the little guy beats the big guy. And so now imagine the Philistine army where, yes, there was probably some normal-sized men in that army, but then you know that there was Goliaths in that army. And so now you get this picture of this strong army who has a great position on their uh, enemy, and they also, by the way, have giants on them that probably have swords the size of the average man in uh, the Israelite army. He can't retreat because that would communicate weakness to the Philistines and entice a potential attack that God's people would not be ready for. And he didn't want to attack yet without the confirmation of the Lord. So now he is at this place where he can't move forward anymore, but he can't move backwards either. And have you ever been in that place where you, you found yourself in a situation where you couldn't go back because going back would be quitting, yet what lied ahead of you intimidated you? Have you ever been in that place? So uh, here's, I'm going to be very vulnerable with you guys and tell you that uh, I do not like roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters at all. Uh, they scare me. Uh, now, I'm the guy that will go skydiving. I will go 
scuba diving, I will do all sorts of crazy things, but there's something about being strapped into a machine that I can't control that just intimidates me. And I had never uh, gone to an amusement park or anything like that growing up, and so one of my buddies, he lives in Agawam, Massachusetts. His name is James. Uh, by the way, I totally didn't tell him that he would be in my sermon today, so he'll laugh about this later when uh, he finds out. Uh, and he, he lived in Agawam, he lives in Agawam, Massachusetts, and in Agawam, Massachusetts, that's where Six Flags New England is. And so he was like, hey, I have two free tickets to be able to get into Six Flags. Why don't one weekend this summer, you come over my place, stay over for the weekend, uh, you'll go to church with me on Sunday, all that stuff, and then uh, we'll just, we'll go to Six Flags together. And I'm like, man, my first amusement park, this is going to be awesome. And so we get in, you know, we, uh, I was so excited. We were like some of the first to get into the park. We wanted to get there early. And I see all the rides, and I get excited. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, we're going to start at, like, teacups, and then we're going to work our way up to, like, you know, the biggest, the biggest uh, roller coaster in that amusement park. And uh, he had other plans for us. Uh, he was my Jonathan in this moment. Uh, he was more along the lines of, hey, I got you the free ticket. We're going to do things my way. We're going to go on a roller coaster first. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go on the roller coaster. All right. So I saw like the Batman wasn't that big, you know, had a couple twirls or stuff like that. But you were strapped in with a harness that went over your shoulders and your waist. So you felt kind of good and secure. And he was like, no, we're going to start with the biggest ride in the theme park, the Superman. I was terrified. I was so scared of this ride. And the line to get to this ride, I don't know, like, we went, when we were at Nationals this past year, we waited two and a half hours to get on one ride, and I'm like, the whole day's gone. Why, why do people do stuff like this? But uh, the Superman line just zigzagged. I mean, zigzagged for, like, two hours, just zigzagging, zigzagging all the way there. So now imagine me. I have never been on a roller coaster in my life. And every step I took in that zigzagging line to get to the Superman roller coaster was a step of pain, a step of torture, and a step of I, I need to just get over this and I need to overcome my fear. But then it came to the decision of where we were going to sit on the roller coaster. And my buddy James was like, hey, front seat. <laughs> we are sitting in the front, and he was like, if you're able to do this right now, Every other ride in this theme park will just be a breeze for you and we'll just have a good time. He, I hated the fact that he had so much logic in his, his explanation to me that I found myself subconsciously walking with him to the front of this roller coaster. And uh, I was faced with a situation where the exit steps, if I wanted to chicken out, were right there. I, like, they, they were right there, a couple steps, and I'm going down, and I'm taking the walk of shame back through all the zigzags in between everybody waiting to get on the line to make it all the way back, and I could just wait for him until he got off. But no, I made the decision to get on the roller coaster. Now, the thing about the Superman in Six Flags New England was there is no overhead anything. It's a lap bar. So the biggest, the the uh, the bi the biggest ride in that theme park is just a lap bar protecting me from sudden death. Uh, <laughs> And so the as, soon as, the, as soon as the riot starts going up, I start praying. And I'm like, Lord, did I make a mistake getting on this roller coaster? Am I going to die today? I've seen the movie Final Destination. I know I shouldn't have, but I saw what happened in that movie. Am I going to die today, Lord? And as it was climbing up, he's telling me, just look at the view. The lake is there. It's so pretty, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I'm like, James, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to open my eyes. I hate you. I hate you right now. 
And I happened to open my eyes, since we were at the front, I happened to open my eyes just as the front of the roller coaster was reaching its arc and I saw it down. And it was as, it was as if the, just my spirit left my body. <laughs> and as soon as we went down and it went back up, it just smacked right back into me. And I, just was, I was like, what just happened? Oh my gosh. Out of body experience. Now, experiences like that will be experiences that you remember, especially when your friend James is so kind to snap the picture of what your face looked like <laughs> when you were on this ride. There is young Pablo there about seven years ago on his first roller coaster. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand. You, you see me grabbing the side. There were two handles there, and I was holding on to it with all my strength. All my strength. I was so scared on that roller coaster. And so there's my friend. There's my Jonathan next to me, just all excited. The funny part about this picture is uh, he, was tell he told me, like, seconds before, open your eyes, the camera's coming. And the reason my mouth is like that is because I'm yelling no at him repeatedly <laughs> and that I hated him. <laughs> so that's, that's my Six Flags story. We could go ahead and just take that down and forget about it. For those of you who will listen to this online later, just go on my Facebook, you'll find it. But life is so full of moments like these. When we realize the place in which we stand is higher than we thought, or the challenge before us is bigger than we thought, or the task before us is more than we expected. There is no neutral. It's either quit and go back or go forward into an opportunity. And many times this becomes the dividing line that separates those who see their divine opportunity and those who seize it. This was the place that Jonathan stood at that moment in which he was faced with the Philistine army. There was no retreat unless the Lord said no, but Jonathan had already made the decision to go beyond the point of no return. He was clearly winning, uh, willing rather, to die for the cause in which he was certain was right. Imagine what his armor bearer was thinking at that moment. I like to put myself in scripture so that I can kind of like get an understanding of where people were maybe mentally or emotionally and the natural feelings that you might feel. Imagine being Jonathan's armor bearer. And I can imagine that easily because roller coaster. Uh, and Jonathan is saying, hey, we're going to go out, just you and me, to face this Philistine army where they are. And we're going to go out and maybe the Lord will lead us and give us some direction in the way that we should go. Now, naturally, from a natural standpoint, you might think, this guy is trying to get me killed. This guy, his, his logic is not there. James's logic was there for me to go on the roller coaster. In, in a natural sense, Jonathan's logic is not there for him to face an entire army with just two of them. Yet his, uh, his armor bearer was like, I am with you heart and soul. And I'm like, praise God, God bless you. But Jonathan didn't sit around waiting for God's confirmation before taking action. Jonathan began to walk in faith, ready to receive confirmation when most would have turned away and ran from fear. He said, if they say to us, wait until, uh, until we come to you, we will stay and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands, uh, then they would go up. And so again, in the mind of a tactician, this is the worst plan ever. If they say, come up to us, meaning... You had to climb to get to them. Back in those days, they fought with sword and shield and arrows, you know, things like that, spears. You know, there wasn't no gun. There was no nothing. So if you have to climb, 
that means you can't use your shield as effectively as you possibly could, and you can't use your sword as effectively as you possibly could. So worst plan ever, because they had the higher ground, which gave them the natural advantage. They had the advantage in numbers, and again, they had giants, so they had the advantage. It seemed impossible. But how many of us know that God's way of doing things differs from our own? Amen? Not only that, but every single time he does things different, it's always better. Jonathan, the thing about Jonathan was that Jonathan was simply a servant of God who was convinced that God was more than ready to act. This idea was consistent historically with how God worked with Israel in the past. God told Israel that one day uh, he would give them a land in which they would inhabit, and it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it would be a rich land in which a society could be built. And so when the day came for them to take over that land, they basically said they wanted to turn around, go back to Egypt, in which they had just been delivered from because they were better off and they were more comfortable and they were safer when they were under uh, Egypt's rule over them. And the decision that they made that day caused them to wander in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years until that entire generation died out and then their children could inhabit the promised land. And in that scenario, only Caleb and Joshua of the 12 spies who went in, went in, saw the land, and remembered the promise. However, the 10 other spies went in, saw the same exact land, saw the confirmation that this is the land that God has promised. But their focus was on the inhabitants rather than the promise. They looked at the situation in comparison to who they were in their natural strengths, where Caleb and Joshua looked at the situation in comparison to who God is, the one who gave them the promise. And they, they had the faith to be able to move forward. However, because uh, the, the rest of the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, they also suffered for 40 years wandering. And I believe that too many divine opportunities are lost because we keep sitting, sitting around waiting for a word from God when the word of God has already been given. Amen? Jonathan didn't sit around waiting for a sign, but rather he moved ahead doing what he already knew to do. His confirmation came in the midst of his action in moving forward. And I believe that it's time for the people of God to begin receiving our confirmation as we move forward to do what we already know to do as sons and daughters of the living God. Well, what are we to do? If we're followers of Christ, then what is it that we should already know to do? Preach the word. Tell those who don't know about him how much he loves them and to be a light in a dark world. We, we know that we need to go as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 when he commissioned his disciples. And the process of discipleship is one that is, it should be a chain reaction. A disciple, the disciples were commissioned, and they were commissioned to create more disciples. And once they're baptized, they teach them to obey everything that he has commanded, and they become disciples themselves. Now that commission applies to them too, so on and so forth. So if we are to consider ourselves followers of Jesus today, if we are to consider ourselves disciples of Christ today, then we need to read the Great Commission as if Jesus was speaking to us today, and we need to move in action and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, direct the next step as we continue to take steps of faith and obedience to what God has already commissioned us to do. Amen? I believe one of the biggest uh, reasons that 
Jonathan was able to move forward in uh, action with, with this plan that he had was because he had full confidence and trust in God. How was he able to have full confidence and trust in God? It was because he knew God. He really knew who God is. Now, by show of hands, how many people here would say that you don't quite know me yet? We haven't had a conversation or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just keep your hands up for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm just, you know, scanning the room and seeing what I can do. And so uh, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to have anybody come up here. Uh, nobody's coming up here. I'm the youth pastor. I can have fun. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I just, you know, saw some hands out in the congregation, and everybody's regretting that decision now. And so I want to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Pablo. What's your name? Nate. Nate? Nice to meet you. Nate, how long have you been coming to Grace? Six weeks. That's awesome. We're totally new together. Hey, well, uh, the thing that I've learned about Grace in the last six months is that welcoming, warm, family-oriented, and it's just really a great place to grow, and uh, yeah, so... There's, there's just one thing that I just want to ask you real quick, is do you trust me? <laughs> he just laughs. Do you trust me? <laughs> he said, you're the youth pastor. No, why don't you trust me? Because he doesn't know me. He, does, he can't trust me if this is the first time that him and I are officially meeting. By the way, nice to meet you. Maybe next time I'll squirt you. So may, what if it's that, what if it's not that we don't trust God to be able to move forward in faith, but what if it's we don't know God? What if it's we don't know God as well as we think we actually know him? Because there's a difference between knowing God or knowing who someone is than knowing somebody. I can know of a celebrity, I can know of uh, an athlete, I can know of them and know all the stats and where they were born and stuff like that, but the difference between knowing of and knowing is relationship. So maybe it's that, it's not that we don't trust God in our lives, but maybe it's that we don't know God. Amen. Amen. There you go, he trusts me. I will never squirt you ever because of that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but, again, we need to know God in order to trust him in moving forward with plans that don't make sense in the natural. How could we possibly trust someone that we don't know? And I read about people like Jonathan, and even I, I know people in my life who are Jonathans, who have this faith within them that's contagious. How many of you have a Jonathan in your life? They have a contagious faith where they're so excited, they're so passionate about following God and serving God that it kind of gets you a little excited. It's like, hey, every time I have a conversation with you, I don't know why, I feel like I could punch the devil in the face. Like, you know, I I'm excited for Jesus right now. And I have people like that, and it's one of the reasons why I love hanging out with people who have just given their lives to God. And it's because everything is so new to them. They're so excited. They're so passionate. They're so on fire. They feel like they can conquer the world in Jesus' name. You know, they're, they're, so, uh, they're so zealous, meaning this just uh, emotional passion that they have for following the Lord and following after the things of God. And 
I wasn't always passionate, like I said, and I wasn't always this excited about serving God. Uh, growing up was a little bit of a struggle in my family because we struggled financially. When my family moved from Puerto Rico to mainland U.S., uh, my parents split apart uh, very, very shortly after, and then uh, my mom eventually, you know, after a couple of years, lost her job because of health issues, and my dad lost his job because companies were just letting hundreds of employees go, and it was a struggle for us to get back on our feet. And in my high school career, from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a senior, I moved 13 times to different places just because there was no consistency uh, of we can't afford this place anymore. Uh, this temp job didn't pull through, and so we had to move and stuff like that. And so it was crazy. And I know what it is to experience those moves without God. And then when I got serious with God, I know the difference that God made in my life, experiencing the same exact thing. The thing that brought me into, into a deeper place of trusting God despite the season I found myself was growing in my understanding of who he is. But we can know him based off of the revelation that we have in scripture. You know, we can know who he is and he's the same person in the time that Jonathan walked this earth to the time that Jesus walked this earth to today, 2019, as we get ready to change the calendar over next month, which is insane to me. He is the same God. And the same way that Jonathan was able to seize his divine moment and have victory over the Philistines that were before him, if he is the same God, we can, we can seize our moments today and share in that same victory with the same God who calls us to take steps of faith forward and allow us to receive our confirmation as we move forward. If you want to know who God is as the worship team comes up, if you want to know who God is, read the word and discover his character. Discover his heart and his ways, but not only read the word, but spend time with him and experience his presence for yourself. Experience his grace and his mercy and his love for yourself. Yet, even if we don't neglect our time with him, sometimes we still find ourselves hesitant to step into divine moments. And the biggest factor that contributes to that is fear. There are so many reasons why people are fearful today. Many people have irrational fears like they're afraid of spiders. I don't understand that one. They're smaller than you, but I won't dwell on that one. Many people have what I think is a rational fear of roller coasters. Once you're strapped into that thing, all control is gone from your hands and you're just basically trusting that that thing's going to work the way it was designed to work. But fear cripples us from being able to seize divine opportunities and moments that God has called us to step into. Last month, we talked with the youth about fear. And one of the things that Pastor Doug kind of spoke on as, as preparation was done, and Nick Stanton, by the way, he was the one who started this series, Pastor Doug kind of made a comment that just stuck with me, that fear is the ground, the fertile ground in which faith can grow. That when you experience fear and you allow your faith to overcome that fear, your, fe your faith, rather, is all the better for it. Your faith is all the stronger for it. You see, the first time I ever did what I'm, I'm doing right now, speak in front of a church, uh, I was 15 years old and I was scared out of my mind. 
Uh, and I was just as nervous today. My heart was beating. I woke up early. I don't wake up early. I don't wake up. I hear of people waking up at 4 a.m. I'm like, God's sleeping at 4 a.m. You're awake alone. But I don't wake up early. So I woke up this morning early, and I was just nervous. And I was laying there in bed, you know, trying to, like, sleep, sleep. You need to sleep. But uh, I still get nervous. But the very first time that I had to speak in front of a congregation, I was 15. I was about to go on my first mission trip ever. And my youth pastor, we had youth group on Friday night. And my youth pastor was, uh, he, he told me, he approached me after youth group. He was like, hey, we're leaving for the DR in a couple of weeks. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about the trip. And what I want you to do is this Sunday, I want you to dress up a little nicer than you typically do. And I want you to share the object lesson that you're going to uh, be doing in the Dominican Republic. And instantly, my weekend was ruined. Like, ruined. I, I was dwelling on the fact that I had to do this before the church. And now, here's the thing that I am willing to admit. I was a punk in high school. I could have just not showed up to church and be like, dude, I'm not doing that, sorry. Uh, and then just make up an excuse later. I was very good at that. Uh, and just dwelling on it all weekend and you know, just knowing, hey, I have to do this. I really have to do this. If I'm going to be going on this mission trip and if I'm going to be doing this before people that I don't even know, then I should be able to do it before people that I do know. And so I, I get to church Sunday and I'm like, man, I can't. I need, a, I, need, I need to pray. I need, you know, Holy Spirit, if you want to just, you know, break out in revival and I don't even got to do anything right now is the time. Jesus, if you want to come back now, <laughs> do it now. But I... It came to the point where the, hand, the microphone was handed to me. And thank God for microphones like this because my hands still shake. I was like this with, with the microphone. I was 15 and it was flash paper. And, you know, if you don't know what flash paper is, you light it on fire, it disappears with a loud, you know, with a big flash. And it's, it's awesome. And so the flash paper, sin, fire, Jesus, boom, Jesus in your life, sin is gone. And so simplest object lesson ever, but my, my hands were shaking, my voice was shaking, and it, it sounded like I was going to cry. And I promise you, I wasn't going to cry, but it sounded like I was going to cry. And I did the object lesson. My youth pastor said, good job, you got to do it one more service. Oh, my gosh. But I didn't know at that time that that moment for me would be God's way of kind of launching me into what I was going to do for the rest of my life. See, a couple of weeks later on that missions trip, I felt God begin stirring something within my heart. And I began asking questions like, I can't believe people, as in missionaries, make a living out of serving people like this and the things that they're able to do and the fun that I had doing it. I was like, I cannot believe that you can make a living doing this. And I went... I went back to the Dominican Republic the following year, and that's when God almost stripped every desire that I had for my life away from me, and I could only see myself serving Him in whatever context that He would call me. As the nervous 15-year-old, I didn't know that God was calling me into ministry when I was sharing an object lesson, shaking and sweating so profusely before the congregation, but God had plans. And I truly believe that because I was obedient and I stepped into that opportunity that I had, he was obedient in guiding me through every season of my life to lead me to where I am right now, 11 years later. We serve a faithful God. 
We serve a God who wants us to step into our divine moments. You don't know the impact that your divine moment today can have 11 years from now. But I can tell you that the Pablo then and the Pablo today are totally different. Why? Because I know him. I know, he, I know who he is. I know that the plans that he has for me are good and that I can trust him wholeheartedly even when what's before me causes me to fear.